Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to Making Headway Podcast. This is Aaron, And this is Mariah. And today we're here with an incredibly inspirational survivor. And I just wanted, before we jump into her story, I just wanted to talk a little bit quickly about the difference between a TBI and an ABI. So usually if you have a traumatic brain injury or an acquired brain injury, you know about what you have, but not necessarily the other type of brain injuries. So really quickly, according to the Brain Injury Association of the US, the difference between a traumatic brain injury and a non-traumatic brain injury or acquired brain injury is that a traumatic brain injury, and I'm just going to call them TBI from now on because otherwise I'm just going to trip over my words. A TBI (laughs) is defined as an alteration in the brain that is a result of an outside force. So a fall, an assault, a motor vehicle accident. If Holly were here, she would say it's not an accident. (laughs) It's a crash. It's a a crash. crash. Um, an outside impact or force that injures the brain. And the acquired brain injury, or what they call non-traumatic brain injury, which I think is ridiculous because they're all traumatic, so why is one, whatever. Don't get me started, I'll go down a (laughs) Different um, types of trauma. (laughs) An acquired brain injury is something that comes from inside the brain, an internal factor. So sometimes that's lack of oxygen, so a near drowning or potentially a heart attack that limits oxygen to the brain, an aneurysm. There are some infectious diseases that cause them, a stroke, and in today's case, a brain tumor. So people often are confused when we talk about brain tumors as brain injuries, but they absolutely are an injury to the brain. They are an ABI, very important. And today's survivor is Ruth Kavanaugh. She uh, has an incredible story. We will not get in the way of telling that story. She should give her own words to it, but she is a survivor and fighter of brain cancer, and she has been through nine surgeries in less than seven years, which is just insane. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. So Ruth, thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have you. And would you mind starting by telling us a little bit about the very beginning of your story and we'll take it from there. Sure, absolutely. And first I wanted to, of course, thank you both so much for having me as a guest. It's an honor. I think that this is something that is so important to discuss because yes, I know young people who have had brain aneurysms. I obviously know an incredible amount of brain cancer patients survivors, thrivers, fighters, warriors, whatever you choose to call yourself. (laughs) I like the word thriver, even though I am also a fighter, because even sometimes getting out of bed every day is a fight. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that that's important for people to understand, because there's a lot of language, you know, generally in the cancer world, at least, about what terms we should and should not use to describe, but it's personal. It's mm-hmm. however you define yourself um, should be acceptable and respected. So I'm a survivor, thriver, fighter. So to begin with my story, I remember very distinctly how it all began. I had had 
some strange sensations going down my left leg for several months, uh, about probably starting in January of 2014. And I at the time worked out four to five times a week. I mean, I was what I thought extremely healthy, took care of myself. So these sensations I was having down my left leg, I just, you know, thought of it as um, say, oh, I must have pulled something in hot yoga. This'll go away, this'll go away. At the time I was a practicing litigation attorney in Manhattan, so I was a pretty busy woman. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had had a, you know, I had a successful career. I didn't have time to listen to my body or go to the doctor, which I think is a really, really important thing when it comes, especially to any, you know, disease or something in your body. Your body usually tells you if something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And now, obviously, with a traumatic brain injury, that's just unfortunately something that can just occur like you explained you know car crash falling down hitting your head something like that however in my case my body was telling me that those episodes were something wrong something which i never recognized yeah and again i i didn't have time to go to the doctor i pushed it off i pushed it off i pushed it off now multiple sclerosis unfortunately runs on the maternal side of my family and my parents and I go to the same primary care doctor. So finally on a Thursday in April now of 2014, so a good few months later, I decide, okay, I'm finally going to go to the doctor. And because of my family history, she said to me, I don't want you to worry, but I just want to get an MRI of your brain because we want to exclude the fact that this is oncoming MS. Mm -hmm. Now I had watched my aunt be severely, severely disabled from MS. Unfortunately, she passed, but she is a, one of my many guardian angels. Excuse my tears, but I get welled up let them go i'm a yeah. crier mm -hmm. <laughs> um and that's okay it's not a weakness absolutely you know, not you know mm -mm. you have to um, feel the feels as i think aaron and i have learned yeah absolutely right <laughs> just um, destroys you so if you don't let it out mm -hmm. that was a thursday saturday i went in for blood work and then after the blood work my husband and i decided oh let's go into the city we live just outside of Manhattan. Let's go for a, you know, day drinking at a uh, margarita place that we loved. So we drank into the late night. Some of his Irish cousins met up with us. You know, he actually took work to go in on that next following Sunday morning. I think he was still drunk, honestly. By the time he got <laughs> it was that kind of night. Sounds like a good night. <laughs> That's the kind of night and day it was. So I decided to have a quote unquote me day. I was sitting at my, you know, usual nail salon talking to the woman who always did my nails and telling her about the experience and that, oh, you know, I have to go for an MRI of my brain once they authorize it. 
yada, yada, yada. I kept getting these feelings down my leg. As she's doing my nails, I literally feel the sensation starting to creep up my leg. Mm. And it creeped up all the way up my left side into my arm and actually into my face. Once it entered into my face, I, I still remember this clear to this day. I was wearing a baseball cap and I had to push the baseball cap up off of my head and say, call 911, something is wrong. So because I had been telling her all of the things that had been going on, she fortunately was able to call 911, explain to them what I had been, you know, I was awaiting an MRI and luckily we were only two blocks away from the hospital. So the EMTs showed up. I don't actually remember them showing up because I had lost consciousness at that point. But what I do remember is losing all control of my entire body. Oh my it God. I just got of... full body goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrifying. It was one of the scariest yeah. moments of my entire life. And to be honest with you, I was more afraid of that kind of, it was a grand mal seizure. Mm. I was more afraid of a grand mal seizure coming back than I was of the brain cancer, which I was eventually diagnosed with wow. uh, coming back. Wow. Uh, because it was just so frightening to just lose all control of your entire body and not know what's happening and yeah. not know what's going on whatsoever. But I lost consciousness eventually, and I remember this. Look, this might give you goosebumps too. When I regained consciousness, I was actually being wheeled into the ER on the gurney by the EMT, yelling in my ear. I guess they saw my eyes open. What's your name? All I could say was, "I don't know." Oh, Ruthie, what happened terrifying. to you? I don't know. And I was thinking in my head because I was seeing all of the lights, the fluorescent lights as you enter the ER on the gurney above me. Oh my God, this is how I die. Oh my God. Oh. I, you're right. The goosebumps yep. came back. I, like They're like <laughs> they're here. frozen on my body right now, partially yeah. because this is a horrifying, terrifying, like talk about fear. It's a really important part of most of our stories, but also I have a very similar memory. I'd never had a seizure like that, but but those fluorescent hospital lights—they yep. they are a theme in, in all yeah. of our our yeah. our journeys. They keep popping up. Absolutely right. Yeah. Oh my gosh, they've yeah. popped up way too many times for me. I'll yeah. tell you that. Well, that's kind of. I mean, we have a friend, Susan Gorman, who's going to be interviewed on the pod, but she would say that it's no coincidence that you were telling you this story to the woman doing your nails, that it's, it's not just, you know, mm -hmm. like, haha, funny. It's the universe. Like, thank God you did that. Thank yeah. God she knew yes. what your, what your experience had been. So she could call and repeat what you said. Absolutely. It's kind of amazing. It, I mean, the way that I can analyze it, cause I, 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 as an attorney, I analyze everything. <laughs> uh, don't hold it against me. <laughs> but uh, they trained us this way. Brainwashed, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good skill to have. But, you know, 
So I believe that everything happened in the best way possible because I could have been on the subway. I could have been driving. Mm -hmm. I could have been all alone in, in our apartment. You know, it all happened in the best way that it possibly could have. But the seizure apparently got so severe. And now I don't recall this, of course, because I was unconscious. But one of my contacts flipped out of my eye that's how that's how extreme the seizure was wow and i still remember when it first began looking over at the other women looking at me like what is happening to this person you know what is going on and the fear on their faces Mm. uh, which i could see so fast forward my husband was actually called and he ran literally he dropped his tools on the job he's an electrician uh dropped his tools ran out i think he told his foreman maybe like i gotta go my wife is in the er they don't know what's wrong with her so my husband my parents and one of my best friends and her now husband all came to visit me and see me in the hospital. And I still remember the neurosurgeon or the neurologist, sorry. When he walked in, he just walked in, he put his head down and said, we just have to let you know, we don't know what it is, but there's some kind of lesion in your brain and it's gonna have to come out as soon as possible. And that is what happened to you. You had a seizure due to this lesion in your brain. So thankfully I used connections as best as possible to get me to Memorial Sloan Kettering and thank the good Lord again. I got to see the, the chief of neurosurgery approximately a like a week later and i think two days later he was operating on me wow i was in my first of many brain surgeries however i love to tell this story dr guten who is thankfully retired you know he deserves it he practiced for 50 years as a neurosurgeon yeah he's amazing and i love him so much but when I first met him, I was expecting, you know, the white coat, you know, holier than thou sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. But no, he just strolls in, no white coat, uh, you know, well dressed and everything. And he sits down in the seat next to me, crosses his legs, puts his hand on his chin, and says, So you're going to have a little bit of brain surgery (laughs) i love it and at this point i was hysterically crying and he made me hysterically laugh i said this is my doctor props props to the medical professionals who can do that right right, the approach of sitting down with your patient like that needs to be like you should not be allowed to stand over a patient. You just should. That's a really good point. Sit Aaron. down, face to face, eye to eye. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's it's a that really power threshold. Point. You have someone standing yeah. over you. Like that shouldn't be allowed. There's that's my own a little total soapbox, psychological but... impact there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sit down. I think we could have a whole podcast about what 
we as patients should be able to change about the medical profession. That mm -hmm. is brilliant. We totally should. <laughs> <laughs> next show. <I'm> down. <laughs> yeah, next show. <laughs> right. Um, so when we finally got the pathology report back, I mean, I was only in the hospital for three days. I, I had no idea that you could have brain surgery and be out in three days. Me yeah. neither. You didn't have to go Not to rehab yet. or anything? You just straight home? Nope. You're done? Straight home. Wow. I was discharged on Easter Sunday. Now, I was raised Catholic. I'm more spiritual, I'd say, as a person. But being released, you know, after this horrendous experience on Easter Sunday sort of mm. has a meaning. Yeah, yeah you like can't a help but find a metaphor in that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when we finally got the pathology report back uh, about a week later, I was told, now you can try and say this three times fast, a grade three anaplastic ependymoma. <laughs> I couldn't I even don't... start. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you lost me after one. grade three. <laughs> It is one of the rare, now all brain tumors are rare. It is one of the rarest out of all of the approximately 150 brain tumors that exist. Only about 2% of them are ependymomas. Wow. And mine being a grade three is, uh, you know, it's obviously grade one, grade two, grade three, and then up to grade four which four is technically terminal in medical mm -hmm. terminology. Mm -hmm. um, so I was a grade three. So it was extremely aggressive being that it's so incredibly rare. There's very little funding. There's very little research that goes into them. They seem to concentrate more on other tumors. I'm not going to get into the whole pharmaceutical company oh discussion. That would be an episode, the episode too. after the yeah. Right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I just basically, like, my Dr. Guten was very, very blunt and said, this will very likely return. Mm. And I said, I don't want to talk about any kind of statistics or death. I'm not a statistic. I'm a person. And he said, fair. He never once again talked to me about being a statistic or death, which great. means so much, yeah. especially in the brain tumor community, because the statistics are not good. Yeah. They are atrocious, actually, and the treatments are extremely limited. So um, getting off of my soapbox, back to my story. No, that's okay. Um, Keep it close by. You're welcome to get back on if you want. <laughs> and so what, yeah, well, one little person. point too that you brought up oh, yeah. is that your doctor Sorry. respected your boundary. I think that's yeah. really important. Just just putting that thought out there. Also I, good to bring up, Erin. Very mm. true. We're right. all about the B word around here, boundaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like the boundaries. <laughs> so brain cancer goes in with the bees okay right? <laughs> so uh so i had to undergo six weeks of radiation every you know monday through friday the entire summer of 2014 no one understands how i went by myself every single day took the bus took the subway 
into the hospital to get my radiation, you know, but I just maintain that I'm going to get through this. Mm-hmm. We're going to fight this. Yep. You know, yeah. where, That's where all- in your brain, Ruth, was the tumor? It's it's technically in the parietal lobe, okay. which controls mostly uh, like motor function. So and that was why I was getting those sensations in my left leg in the beginning. They were mini seizures. Oh, wow. Mm. So I did not recognize that. Obviously, who would, you know, <laughs> who thinks, oh, gee, this must be a mini seizure because I have a tumor in my brain. Yeah. You know? I knew nothing about brain cancer. I know nothing. I knew nothing about treatments, you know, so I had to. You know, I didn't want to go down the Google rabbit hole, which it's I don't dangerous think rabbit hole. patient should ever do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's one of the things that I always say, don't go down there. If you have to research, use respectable websites for whatever condition you have, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, the Brain Injury Association, I, I believe that that's. Brain Injury Association of America. They have yeah. a lot of great information on their website. And I agree about the Google rabbit hole. I yeah. once convinced myself I needed my gallbladder removed. <laughs> but I had pulled a muscle. <laughs> it's easy to do. At least it wasn't a seizure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got yourself to radiation. Yeah. Almost that's- like, like a job. That sounds like a full-time job. Well, and knowing that it was your parietal growth. Yeah, fantastic. Like, that's amazing. Well, at the time, I mean, once they removed the tumor, I didn't have any deficits. Uh, I mean, I was a little bit foggy, but in terms of mobility, I was perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. I, I was back doing exercising four to five times a week after I got over the radiation fatigue, Mm. (laughs) which took a while. And I thought, because I've been an insomniac my entire life, I was like, oh, fatigue is no problem. I'll just be able to sleep. And they're like, no, 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 you're not understanding. Fatigue is very different than just being tired. Yeah. We, weren't we just talking about that, Erin? Erin yes, and I had a conversation were. about how, like, it it brings on this whole new meeting because, like, tired people are like, oh, I'm tired. And those of us who have dealt with brain injury or any kind of major medical, you know, issue, it's a different thing. Okay. <laughs> Full body exhaustion. I mean, like I said, sometimes it's a fight to just get out of bed in the morning. So I did the six weeks of radiation in which it's like a horrid sci-fi movie. If you think about what radiation to your brain is, you have to get fitted for a mask, Mm. a mesh mask which they then put on your he- on your uh, head every time you get radiation. So for six weeks, five days a week, I was literally in this mesh mask, which they then tie like strip like, down, like they use like strips down to the to, table. Yeah, 
bolt yeah. you to the table Whoa. so that you can't move. Yeah. I mean, it is something literally out of like science fiction horror. Yeah. Yeah. Some As people not keep having their cancer mask. is worse enough. Yeah. Than yeah. bolted down to a table. It's, right. it's hard. Right. And, I mean, it makes sense. You yeah. don't want to move. You don't want the, the beam right. to go to the wrong spot, but whew, yeah. Yeah. It's a hard that, one. That's scary. So you got yourself to radiation. They bolt mm -hmm. you to a table. You're fitted yeah. in a mask. How did you stay motivated and positive through all that? I mean, like, it's one thing to say, like, I'm going to get through this. It's quite another to, you know, five days a week be committed to something like that. It, I could imagine it. You must have. Uh, did it wear you down at all? I mean, you, did you? No. You know, some people say that treatment is their worst experience. Not having treatment was my worst experience because like you brought up just before, it was like a routine. It was mm -hmm. scheduled. It was like my new job. Yeah. Okay. This is my new thing. I can't work. I worked so hard for so long and this was my new quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. So it was always scheduled. I had a like schedule a week in advance to know when I was going. Okay. But when they, and they, at the time, I don't know if they've changed the term. Once you finish your six weeks of radiation, they call it a quote unquote vacation period. <laughs> it is not, not a vacation because now you're left at home you're too tired to fatigued to do anything but you're there with your own thoughts Ugh, yeah and you can go into a very very dark place and you know when you said that you were uh Mariah, when you were going down like the Google rabbit hole <laughs> uh, or wormhole, whatever we call mm -hmm. it, that is when I was going down that dark hole. Oh my God, I, I have a tremor in my leg. The seizure is coming back. The tumor is back. I was calling my oncologist's office just about like once a week. And so finally, then you go in for your next scan to see after that month to see if the radiation has even worked. Mm. So you sit there and you wonder and you wonder and you think and you think, but what got through, got me through, <clears throat> I have to say was my ability to, uh, wanting to find out about this disease and helping others through mm -hmm. it it's just kind of in my nature as well despite being a lawyer i can make lawyer jokes all day <laughs> you raise a great point but, that we've talked about before on the show you know when you're going through that initial phase you have practitioners you have a plan you have a treatment schedule and you have something to do and then all yes. of that stops and you're still not right and you still don't know like what's going on and no yeah. one's there to tell you what to do so yeah, you know you're left to like marinate in your own fear and doubt and yep. uncertainty and yeah and i think yeah. it only makes sense like 
you know, I, I had a similar thing where I'm like, okay, I'm scared to death. What can I do about that? Well, let's help others. Let's get another plan rocking and rolling right now. So I have something to do. So I'm not right. like scared to death every single second. Yeah. And here we are on the Making Headway podcast. And, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> the evolution. Yeah. Comes back. Right. Comes back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there, you had like the quote unquote vacation period. How long was that? It's a month. Uh. <laughs> that's that's a, a long, long time, time to, to marinate. Wait. <laughs> yes. And then what happens? So you get your uh, follow-up scan that in like after the month and you meet with your oncologist. And now my oncologist at uh, Sloan Kettering was like a second mother to me. And she sat me down and said, now, I think, again, every doctor and or hospital should require this. She sat me down and said, I am very worried, not just about your medical health. I am worried about your emotional and your mental health. Mm. Thank and God. I want to refer you to our counseling center. Now, I come from a very, very, very old school, traditional. I was born in Ireland, come from a very, you know, traditional Irish family um, where, unfortunately, the thought is, well, if you're going to go to see some sort of, you know, head doctor, you're you must be crazy there mm -hmm. must be something wrong with you mm -hmm. and you know we need just overall i think that mental health needs to be discussed uh, a lot more and the stim stamp what's the word i'm looking for the stigma uh, sorry yeah, stigma, yep. uh, the stigma yeah, is huge stigma needs to be removed we just Absolutely. need to get it out mm -hmm. you know reach sister and, <laughs> and yeah. my my mom's side of the family is also very i mean generations back but irish catholic and uh, i see i still see the repercussions you know in my generation in my family mm -hmm. the stigma associated with therapy and counseling and screw that yeah, <laughs> you know because exactly. the more i i try to say to people like there is zero harm in it mm -hmm. zero harm if you are afraid of going to see a counselor literally there is nothing about seeing a counselor that is going to hurt you only good will come from it correct mm -hmm. so but you need to find the good one yes. that yes. matches you yes exactly you have to yeah. find the right fit you kind of have yeah. to date around yeah yeah, yeah. um mm -hmm. So uh, I did go, although sort of virtually kicking and screaming. <laughs> um, and I still, to this day, have such an amazing relationship with my psychiatrist who I actually use as she is almost like a therapist as well as, you know, she's not somebody who just writes you a script for some mm -hmm. drug and says, okay, bye, see you in a month. Um, we have 45 minute to hour long discussions, you know, about everything. I mean, I have her cell phone number, I have her, you know, personal email. So she is at, you know, 
I can contact her at will when needed. That's awesome. And, uh, so I, sometimes I really, really need it. <laughs> <laughs> so to continue on my very long journey uh, of health, I call it the cancer chaos <laughs> because it has been. Uh, so we're in 2015 now and they start to see something on my scan. However, when it comes to treatment for brain cancer, radiation scarring and scar tissue can show up. And so they have to kind of watch you and the wait and we're just going to wait and see what happens, quote unquote, kind of thinking, which would drive anyone mental. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does. Uh, scanxiety is real for That's a really uh, good term. Brain cancer patient, any kind of cancer patient, mm -hmm. scanxiety exists. It's real. It's horrific. You know, you don't even realize you're going crazy until you look at the calendar and you're like, oh, wait, I have a scan in a week. That's why I'm being totally insane. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they started seeing something by June of 2015. My neurosurgeon, the tumor board who probably knows me. You know, they've never met me. I've never been at a meeting with them, but they, you know, every hospital pretty much has a tumor board that deals in brain cancer. So the, the brain tumor board knows my name very, very, very well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> at I'm sure they hospitals. know you. <laughs> oh, they do. <laughs> I, I'm definitely in a journal somewhere, like, you know, patient X has whatever because my situation is so incredibly rare. So finally, June 2015, they determined, okay, this is a recurrence. Mm. So I had to prepare myself once again to undergo my second brain surgery, which now thinking back, second brain surgery, oh God, that was cake. Like, mm. <laughs> wow. I who would that. ever think that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. Only me. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> not only me, unfortunately. But what, uh, what was your reaction when when you realized that you were going back in? I mean, did you feel like you knew what you were walking into this time? So, or, or were, was it equally as scary? Or I'm just curious, like um, how, how that must have felt. I was scared. However, since you know, we kind of knew how aggressive it was that it would return. I mean, everyone was shocked by how quickly it returned, unfortunately. So we had to have multiple, multiple consultations about what's the best way to approach this since the six weeks of radiation didn't seem to, you know, keep it at bay. Mm -hmm. So... I had to undergo then what's called, now this is getting into more of like the medical terms, but it's called stereotactic radiation. And so that are, those are stronger beams. And I only had five doses 
as well as a well-known immunotherapy drug called Avastin infused. It's an IV infusion. So I had to undergo approximately six of those in order to quote unquote, protect my brain from having radiation, basic, so much radiation basically within a year's time. It didn't do so much to protect my brain. Mm -hmm. It actually caused severe problems because um, one of the problems with Avastin, unfortunately, is that it can cause bleeding. It can cause bleeding anywhere in your body, including your brain. However, it also prevents wound healing. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, we had waited what we thought was long enough after the second brain surgery in order to start the Avastin, but I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, conspiracy theory or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, but I don't think we waited long enough. Mm -hmm. So by 2016, I was in Costa Rica, traveling around, backpacking around the entire country with my best friend in March. It, by April, not even three weeks later after we returned, I felt my head, I had my husband look at my head. I said, there's something strange on my head. And it was in the surgical area, as well as, you know, of course, the radiation area. My titanium plate was actually showing. Ah. Oh. That's how bad the wound breakdown was. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so only me. <laughs> so what happens when your titanium plate is showing? So what they have to do is, uh, well, for me anyway, they had to open me up again. They had to, now they said it could take anywhere, depending upon how, it was essentially an infection, let's say, mm -hmm. to put it in like the most simple terms. Mm -hmm. So the radiation had basically caused an internal infection inside uh, under, you know, underneath the plate and everything and in the that tissue area, as well as the external part of my scalp. So- Ruthie. What <laughs> what had to happen was I had to undergo an over 12 hour surgery so that a plastic surgeon could take away a piece of my abdomen that would fit approximately a third of my scalp because that's how extensive the infection was. So I woke up not realizing what I looked like and, you know, my husband doesn't mind me sharing this, but he said he saw me immediately after the surgery was conducted and finished, you know, and just cried. Mm. He said he had never seen, he was never so scared, you know, in his life. It, like, the, the, the seizure was like nothing, you know. Mm. So now a third of my scalp 
is my abdomen. It has the freckles from my stomach. <laughs> no I never thought between. about that. I never nope. did either. That's yeah. kind of cute, actually. <laughs> In a way, yeah. In a weird way. That, that's the way, you know, I try yeah. and make it, yeah. you know, a little bit lighthearted. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, no more bikinis because the incision goes from basically like the top of my chest all the way down. My belly button is about six inches from where it should be off to the side. Totally weird. Hmm. Anyway, hmm. so that was, we thought going to be the most extensive surgery. Turns out, no. Really? No. Ruthie. We're oh, still yeah. going. Okay. okay. Keep going. going. <laughs> What's next? Yeah. Said, Holy moly. Surgery three of um, seven? Nine? Nine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're only on surgery three. Wow. Okay. The other surgeries are a little bit quicker. Buckle up, um, folks. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next year, we're in 2017, which was one of the worst years of my life, unfortunately. Mm. My plastic surgeon went in thinking that all he was doing was just revising the graft on my scalp to make it more contoured. However, when he opened me up, he saw something that looked quote unquote strange in my skull. Mm -hmm. uh, so he had to call in neurology, had to, had to call in uh, infectious disease once again. They were also part of the, you know, my teams, mm -hmm. you know, I have a lot mm -hmm. of teams, let's just say, <laughs> in various hospitals too, in the New York City area, and now at Duke <laughs> also. Wow. <laughs> Add to it all. And the NIH also. You've had quite the tour of all the big uh, yeah. <laughs> centers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's how special I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So it turns out that the weird looking area of my skull had three separate types of bacteria, two of which were known to be antibiotic resistant. Good stuff to have yeah. in your skull, yeah. brain or bone. So what happened was when I was literally signing the papers to get out of the hospital, this whole infectious disease team swoops in, says, you're not going anywhere. Mm. <laughs> because it was only supposed to be a one day procedure. Mm. Um, and I mean, my plastic surgeon had warned me that, you know, he had had to take cultures and all that, but, you know, they hadn't come back at the time where he was gonna discharge me. So I spent another week in the hospital to which after they didn't want me in the hospital, which is a blessing in disguise. So they put a pick line in, which is the most horrific. If anyone out there has had a pick line, it is like also torture yeah. uh, because they put, it's an actual procedure in which they have to put because your vein is not strong enough to have the antibiotic that I had. And I didn't, I never had a port like many cancer patients. Mm, yeah. um, so it's, it's this horrid, I had a panic attack. 
I had to demand painkillers. I had to have them stop the procedure because you're not under anesthesia. Yeah. So for one month, I had a 24-hour running portable IV of one of the strongest antibiotics that is out there. Um, Which also must wreak havoc on you. <laughs> yeah. They said it was... Now, this is a quote from my infectious disease doctor. I cannot believe you lasted the full month. Wow. I was wow. gray. I, everything I ate tasted like the antibiotic. I sweat. Mm. You know, I could taste the antibiotic. I smelled the antibiotic. Disgusting. Okay. Wow. But that's not, the, that's not even the worst part of it. Okay. <laughs> I got the call. Now, this is going to make me cry for sure. But one of my dearest friends that I met through all of my adv advocacy and volunteering with the National Brain Tumors Society, I got the call that it was time to say goodbye. In the middle of all of this horridness. Oh, Ruthie. Uh -huh. Yeah. So... And at the time, she was nonverbal. Uh, she was incapacitated. She couldn't move. Mm. So I had to say goodbye to her. And just... In May of 2017. Mm. And. But she watches over me. I know when I see signs of her and people who may not believe in this sort of thing, but I absolutely do. Like when I think of her, yeah. like the strangest things happen. For example, I had to be told about my seventh brain surgery on the anniversary of her passing. And Everybody leaves the room. I'm still in the uh, exam room. All of a sudden, the sink just starts flowing, like, out of nowhere. No one no was way. in the sink. And it also happened when I was in ICU last year. Well, no, 2019, sorry. When I was in the ICU in 2019, same thing. I was thinking about her, and all of a sudden, the water just, I mean, the sinks just start flowing. Even one of the nurses came in and says, I have never seen that happen before. I go, I know why it's happening. <laughs> Is oh that encouraging gosh. to you? Is that? Yeah. 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 It's a nice sign yeah. of her presence. And yeah. Yeah. Um, and I unfortunately also had a near-death experience after this last surgery, which was in October 9th of 2020, the year, worst year ever. Hashtag, Just to make 2020 right? extra great. <laughs> 2020 started out with a brain surgery to insert a shunt into my brain. Uh, which is basically a catheter that constantly runs fluid, for those that don't know, mm -hmm. that runs fluid from your brain and basically uh, into your, uh, like, digestive area. 
so that's how 2020 started that was january mm. then in june i had another surgery and that was to remove one of the uh clips that they had put in in the 2016 surgery in which they had to do the major graft once they removed that metal clip i had an mri which then showed that i had tumors in my lymph nodes in my neck mm -hmm. as well as what's called the parotid gland it's one of the major salivary glands and it's right around your ear which is exactly where the clip was so the clip was hiding the tumor the whole time wow. so once it was removed the mri sh showed it now there's approximately that we know of about 25 cases of this metastasis happening with my tumor because my tumor either stays in the brain or it can spread to the CNS. It can also spread to the spine. It's, it, it pretty much never, ever, ever spreads in the way that mine has metastasized, which is why I am now being seen also at Duke, also at NYU, also the NIH has all my records, all my tissues, all mm. that fun stuff. Mm. So I'm still severely recovering from the October 9th surgery in which I stopped breathing. It was a 14 and a half hour surgery. I came out of it okay. They brought me up to the observation unit and allegedly I stopped breathing. I still don't know the details because essentially no one will tell me anyway <laughs> moving on. we don't know yet uh, <laughs> um so they had to i say revive me with narcan they don't want to say revive me hmm. i don't even know what term they use yeah. i just so basically uh, the narcotics had to be reversed so that you could start breathing again uh, exactly and then they mm. took away all narcotic medication from me Oh. This is my ninth surgery. And but it, it was wasn't your fault. And hours. Yeah. Exactly. And even the records that I demanded mm. showed that I was conscious. I knew where I was. I knew the date. I knew what surgery I had undergone. I, I was yeah. more than, you know, capable of being given you know, narcotic medication, but no, they just left me in excruciating pain for two full days. Mm. Wow. Thanks, thanks yeah. Memorial is, Sloan Kettering. Right, well, this is that place of really needing to listen to the patient. What's going yeah. on with them? What is their experience? I know, you know, it's easy to glance at a chart and make assumptions in a certain way, but uh, we, we just can't as medical providers do that. It's a person. It's someone who deserves respect. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I got my narcotic medication back because my father, who is a veterinarian, got on the phone with them, demanded to know what medications they were giving me. 
if any, because <laughs> it didn't feel like any. Mm. And he had to explain to them, despite the fact that I explained it to them, and I was yeah. actually quoted in explaining it to them in one of their notes, he was able to demand that I was essentially getting what would be considered baby Tylenol for someone who has undergone everything that I've gone through. Mm. And I was in agony. Yeah. Absolute agony. So a veterinarian had to convince. <laughs> right. Bring in the vet. Doctors at yeah. Memorial Sloan Kettering to give me the proper medicine. I think there's Don't something that occurs that's unfortunate. It's almost like the more encounters you have with the medical system, they start to build a story of you. Um, uh -huh. And they forget to actually tune in to who that person is right now. Like you can't what? look at. It, it 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 can be infuriating but on the flip side being a nurse like you do get that patient that keeps coming and coming and coming and coming and of you kind of it's like the boy who cried wolf and you right. try like you just need to be very cognizant of this is where they are now let's right. be mindful of where you are now i would imagine <laughs> i would imagine you must get numb to a certain amount. I mean, I'm clearly not a nurse or medical practitioner, but you must get numb to a certain amount of what you experience. I mean, silly story. I'll bring it around, I promise. But so I lived in San Francisco <laughs> for five years and there's a big homeless problem in San Francisco. And when I first got there, every person I saw who, you know, was clearly struggling on the street, it, it really hurt to see. By the end of my five years, I feel like I just became completely numb to it. I, I didn't see it anymore, and I didn't like that about myself. But I wonder if there's something similar there where you just, you're just, you see so much, you experience so much that it's hard to tune into the feelings that come with, um, mm -hmm. you know, connecting to a, a human being mm -hmm. sometimes, which is, you know, I'm, I'm not pointing a finger at any med medical practitioner. I think that that is probably a very common thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, it's just yeah, and I don't want to make excuses to for medical practitioners in any way. I just think it's good to point out the fact that that can occur and that you can make assumptions based on past information mm -hmm. that might not be relevant right now. Yeah, it's like um, you stop seeing what's in front of you because you're just operating on, you know, whatever right. past experiences or autopilot yeah yeah, yeah. It's a shame. what i what i say is that even you know because i'm obviously a, a a patient advocate for not just myself because you have to be your own advocate mm -hmm. at so many points in so many places when it comes to your medical health and everything but I am also standing up for the person who doesn't have the voice, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think is more important even because, hey, I'm still alive, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they pumped me up with Narcan and I suffered the most excruciating pain of my entire life for two full days. But how about the person who can't stand up for themselves what do you do then mm -hmm. and that was why i wrote an, an entire five-page letter to the chief 
of neurology who I know personally <laughs> about my experience mm. yeah. <laughs> and made it very clear. This is not just about me. This is about the patient that can't speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Which is so important. Erin and I have talked about that a lot. I mean, I was really fortunate. My husband it, like, is a, basically a bulldog when it comes to my health, and I was really lucky to have him in the hospital along the way with me. Erin was in the hospital alone because of COVID, no visitors allowed when she she was at Mass Gen. So, you know, like, and despite the fact that Erin is a nurse and knows what yeah. people are talking about when they speak medical jargon to her, mm -hmm. she had just had a brain injury. Exactly. <laughs> so you don't, you know. It's a lot um, different. And you can speak to this too, I'm sure, Ruthie, when you're the patient in the bed trying to speak for yourself while you're also impaired, like, yeah, it's your freaking brain. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's the the patient who does not have an advocate, who does not have someone to speak for them, who does not have, you know, their dad who's a vet call, mm -hmm. you know, like what happens to them? And that is a terrifying thing to think about, truly. Mm -hmm. Especially, I, I get so frightened because the medication lists are never right. Mm -hmm. How do you not, like, how are my medications never right how do we have to go through this all the time mm. constantly and thank god i'm cognitively you know capable enough will that point it out uh, change at some point i don't know yeah. you know because it's our brains we yeah. don't know but that's part of why again i try and make sure that if I ever see something happening, I always call patient advocacy or patient representative who are, I believe every hospital has, I hope every ho hospital has at least. I hope so. Um, yeah. I hope so too, I but I think important. a lot of people don't even know that exists. Yeah. I know. And that's, that's, well, maybe that's the, the hospital doesn't kind of, yeah. you know really bump up the idea that it exists but maybe, maybe. anyway again for the next uh <laughs> yeah, right. the <laughs> system, you know? yeah exactly uh, <laughs> um so so ruthie that so that started in 2014 it's yeah. now barely into 2021 that yeah. is so much i mean it's not a super short period of time but it's Correct. that's a lot to cram into a period of time. <laughs> yes. So yes. it's 2021. Thank goodness. Yes. And where are you now in your journey? I mean, how have you been since your last surgery and how are you doing? Um, it's been hard because of multiple reasons. Um, I've declined uh, with my mobility extremely bad uh, i'm extremely bad i before this surgery i was walking with a cane okay it's still an assistive device but you know i could get around at this point i'm in a wheelchair i can't use my left arm or left hand because when the tumor is on the right side, the left mm -hmm. side is then affected. You know, uh, your listeners may know that. But uh, anyway, because, you know, where my brain is affected, it also is right around the motor strip. 
So my motor skills are very, very declined. I'm in pain still, you know, you, you all can see me. I'm extremely swollen. They also had to take a graft from my thigh and put it on my neck. So now my neck is my thigh. <laughs> and your my head is your belly. My stomach. Right? Yeah. Great. A puzzle. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, my plastic surgeon and I joke. I said, there's not many other places where you can take, you know, any more flaps from me because I'm a relatively petite person. He goes, oh, I know. We got to fatten you up. I was like, Please don't say that. Hey, that's uh, goals for 21. <laughs> I'm all about the food. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so I am having to start a chemo regimen. The chemo was literally just delivered uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I don't know. I, I can't. Recently. I can't keep count of. Or, keep can't keep track of the days especially with the holidays i'm just whatever it is today so i have to start that um as soon as possible however although i am now considered a stage four cancer patient which as i said a little bit before you know they term terminal i have an incredible list of options that, you know, they may, may not work. We're praying, of course, that they do. The oncologist at Duke that I see, the oncologist that I see um, primarily now at NYU, as well as the NIH, are all in line with me taking this uh, regimen of chemo, and they're just pills. Not that, you know, Mm -hmm. chemo is chemo, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not going into the hospital, Mm -hmm. having to get, you know, like the scary, you know, nurses all in like their hazmat suits, Mm -hmm. injecting you with chemicals that are basically meant to kill, which is frightening. So, so frightening to me. But it'll Um, be easier for you too, because you'll be able to just be home and take your treatment and... Exactly, exactly. So I'm going to have to have some sort of other surgery uh, to fix the um, facial um, problems that I underwent because of the October 9th surgery. They also had to insert a nerve from my thigh that was part of the graft as well because of the facial... um, disalignment of my face now i'm always thirsty because the salivary gland is gone Mm. (laughs) thankfully we have many but you know (laughs) still i'm like constantly asking my husband god will you please get me a glass of water he's like i just got you a glass of water (laughs) i need another one (laughs) um you know i'm tired but there's hope yeah I hear that. I mean, your story just resonates with the amount of strength and the courage that you've had to have to face everything you face, Ruthie, and your family, too. I mean, everybody that knows you, I'm sure, is just touched by that. I'm touched by that. 
I and yeah, like you're seriously giving me permanent goosebumps. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I echo Aaron's sentiment, and I think, gosh, how much for one person to go through? I mean, mm. any any brain injury comes with trauma, but this is this extended period of time for you. I just it's heart-wrenching. What would you say to people who might be going through something similar or what, what hope can you give? So the way I always describe it and I speak publicly on panels, I speak on behalf of the National Brain Tumor Society at various events as well. And uh, what I always say is that there's always hope Hope doesn't necessarily have to be that there's going to ever be like this magical cure. Hope can be the smallest thing. And I like to just give this anecdote. It'll be brief. I, I promise. <laughs> don't okay. usually don't trust uh, an attorney, <laughs> but I will try and keep it as brief as possible. After my first brain surgery, you know, you're in bed for a certain amount of time and then they want you out of bed because they want you to get moving. They want you to be able to get discharged, go home. So the first step is simply standing up and getting out of bed and moving into like the hospital chair, mm -hmm. right? So I had this, I, he must've been some angel cause I've never seen him again. And, all the times that I was in that hospital, but I was hysterically crying when he came in and told me, you know, you have to get out of bed. I'm here to help you. Your husband is here to help you. And I just sat there. I just hysterically cried. And I said, I can't do it. I just can't. Mm -hmm. There's no way. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, I wouldn't have asked you to do this if I didn't think that you could. So I did it, mm -hmm. you know, with the help. And mm -hmm. that, that day, that was my hope. Mm -hmm. You know, hope can be when you're in the hospital and you finally get to eat real food. You don't <laughs> get, you know, you know, the, uh, broth or whatever Jello. it is and jello <laughs> yeah you actually get to eat real food finally you know mm -hmm. um hope can just be that if it's at the last moments unfortunately that it comes with peace you're surrounded by loved ones, which with COVID, I mean, it's just a horrific that people are passing without their loved ones around, yeah. you know? So, um, again, just, just So it's always... just finding that hope in a small, you know, it can be small, it can be large is what I'm hearing you right. say. Mm -hmm. It's right. just looking yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. also find your tribe. Ah, okay. Find people who have been through your experience or similar, like you women have done excellently. Mm -hmm. You're wonderful, amazing. Um, Thank you. But it's so important, even though your loved ones can empathize, they don't really get it like someone who has been through it gets mm. it. Mm. And you need that. And yeah. you need those people because they will lift you up. 
And are there I any resources so for people? Tried. Yeah. Are there resources um, for people going through brain tumors and brain cancer? The Absolutely. Absolutely. As I said, I'm a spokesperson for the National Brain Tumor Society. Their website is braintumor.org. They're an excellent organization. They are very, very, very well connected in terms of funding research, as well as advocating even on Capitol Hill. <laughs> Funny story. Uh, for GBM awareness, which is glioblastoma, uh, you know, the known to be the most aggressive, I hate to say the word deadliest, but that's how they frame it deadliest brain cancer that is out there at the moment. They signed in 2018. I have to think back now that we're in 2021. <laughs> um, so in, uh, or was it 2019? Okay, anyway, uh, the their GBM Awareness Day was signed into law, recognizing that in July, GBM Awareness Day will be something that is recognized. And a lot of it was spurned by not just Joe Biden's, uh, woohoo, by the mm -hmm. way. <laughs> not, not saying anything political, but anyway. Uh, you know, he has a moonshot program, you know, because he lost his son to a GBM. Senator McCain right. on the other aisle, you know, yeah. uh, so keeping it equal. Um, also passed of a GBM. Senator Kennedy also mm -hmm. passed from a brain tumor. You know, many people don't know how many famous people have had brain tumors. I mean, Mario Menudos, I actually mm -hmm. met at an ABTA, which is the American Brain Tumor Association is also a spokesperson, met her, um, she's amazing. So that's another organization. For just cancer in general, there is a wonderful, wonderful program. Well, there's two actually. One is called First Descents, and it's descents as in going down, descending. A lot of people hear it uh, differently. But um, so they provide camps all over the country free of charge for now. They've also extended it to multiple sclerosis patients. And so you get to choose camp wherever you want. If it's open, of course, they've had to shut down, of course, with COVID. But when it reopens uh, and they take you either surfing whitewater kayaking, ice climbing, or mountain climbing. That's awesome. For a full week. Um, wow, excellent. Yeah, and then there's also a similar organization run by a family, and that's called Epic. I think it, it, it could be Epic Adventures. I'm not sure, but they're both based in Colorado, even though they have, Epic is only camps in Colorado. Uh, as far as I understand. So <laughs> if I'm making the mistake, I apologize, Epic, but they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. Um, and, you know, of course, you, you know, just the American Brain Cancer Society, 
you know, as I said before, yeah. when you rely on real, you know, scientific evidence-based research, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. exactly, that would be scientific, the place to go. Scientifically based websites, you can learn so much. Also, if you're in a hospital, a social worker is usually tuned into programs. So if you are interested in, say, a program that's close to you, you know, I live just outside of Manhattan. So uh, all the social workers in the hospitals are very, very in tune with these different organizations. You can also, I mean, if you're healthy and whenever they allow it back, um, I was a patient to patient volunteer at one of the hospitals that I treated at. Oh, and wow. so basically I would be given, I was given full training and then, you know, the person who runs the program matches you to go speak to a patient who's in patient admitted into the hospital to speak with them. You can speak to their loved ones if they so choose. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it's a great program. And so I wish all hospitals had that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, just tapping into whatever you can that's, again, legitimate, scientifically based, like you said, they're well established, you know, don't go to WebMD and type in your, you know, learn <laughs> from my mistake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> find out uh, yeah. you know, where you can get help. Right. So, yeah. Ruth, if people wow. wanted to follow your journey more, you have a website, braincancerbabe.com. Um, I would assume that would be a good place to go to connect with you some more. And then, Absolutely. Um, perfect. And you also have a Twitter handle, braincancerbabe, all one word. Or on Instagram, you can follow Ruth at braincancer underscore babe. And I just want to take this moment once again to say thank you so much for joining us and um, giving us your story of strength and courage. You've inspired me. You're providing hope. You know, your focus on just taking the day by day or the moment by moment and looking for what is the positive thing in that time and that, you know, you don't have to look too far ahead enjoy where you are right now and i think that came exactly, across exactly. so strong and yeah. we just hope and pray for you as you keep going on your journey you know whatever we can do to help you please reach out and yeah you have a community of people supporting yeah, and sending got two fangirls here now Thank you. <laughs> yeah. well i'm very happy to have you <laughs> members of my tribe yeah. <laughs> awesome so thank you everyone for joining us today on Making Headway Podcast. This is Erin with Mariah signing out for today and please join us again next time. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com.
This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.